go. All right. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's week 12. And... Um, Finale of phase two, Ant-Man. Yeah. So, week 13 for us is going to be, what, Doctor Strange is next? No, Civil War. Does Doctor Strange take place after Civil War? It, it came out after Civil War. I, I, I don't know if it's uh, in the in the timeline where, where it fits exactly, but I'm, I'm fairly sure it's supposed to take place after Civil War. At least there's no indication that it takes place before. Okay. Um, do I have all this here? I hear doubt. I hope you're not doubting so, the order of the movies because, I mean, you know who you're talking to here, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just they're... I, I, don't, I didn't know you had it chronologically figured out. Um, so, this is why I'm looking at it weird. So, from what I got, it's... And, and let me know if you want to change this. The order it's saying for me is Doctor Strange Prelude Comic... Captain America Civil War Prelude Comic, Captain America Civil War Infinite Comic, Captain America Civil War Film, and then it says Doctor Strange Prelude Comic again. That's really weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't always trust okay. those. I, I, I think we can do whatever you yeah. want, but from what I remember, I, I think the Dark Doctor Strange just takes place. Like, I think it would make more sense to do the to do this and then the civil wars and the civil war comics and then doctor strange and the doctor strange comics but however you want to do it i'm, uh, I'm fine with it it probably has it twice because uh the prelude takes place in both spots so it probably had it listed twice on the thing true so yeah we'll just do it like we did before where we put it right before instead of throwing it out of whack um yeah that's awesome because uh while we did Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 already, it didn't get its own week. So, technically, we're still weeks equal movie order. Oh. So, because Civil War is the 13th movie in publication order, um, which I thought was awesome because it's a terrible number. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway. Week 12... The end of Phase Two. We are on Ant Man, which I also I think uh, we've talked about this before. But I would have I love Ant Man, great movie. But I, I think it should, Phase Two should have ended with the Age of Ultron. It just seems kind of weird to. It, it makes sense for every phase to end on an Avengers movie. It just kind of seems kind of strange for it to end on Ant Man. But uh, that's kind of, that's kind of all moot. It doesn't really matter. But just for my own personal OCD, I think it would have made more sense to start off Phase Three with Ant Man, and then you know. Totally. Um, does anyone get an arm cut off in Ant-Man? Cause... Oh, do they? Uh, you watched it uh, today. You'll have to tell me. I don't I don't remember. Maybe maybe that's why. Maybe it wasn't yeah. technically supposed to be part of Phase 2. I know Feige said he wants to do... Mm-hmm. They're probably going to do away with phases after Phase 3, um, which makes sense. But it's just like... Yeah, it's just a strange little thing, I guess. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so we're going to start off with Scott Lang's Small Time, the infinite comic written by Will Corona Pilgrim. He strikes again. Um, he strikes again. Uh, so so we did the Ant-Man prelude comic after Captain America because it's specifically about Hank Pym and it took place in that time era. Yeah. And that was ages ago. Um, I stand by that. Because no, no, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, way, it's like way out of the yeah. It's way out of the time, the time loop. Like 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 if it was something like you know we were talking about with the other comics where it's kind of like they take place at the same time, but one might take place, but like this one clearly takes place in a different era. And I think it kind of made sense to do it when we did it. Yeah, um, this this one's pretty fun. Uh, not too much in it. It's really just uh, um, Scott Lang's story about how he uh, ends up in prison. So it's him working for uh, Jeff Zorick, the CEO of Vista. Um, and, you know, he tries to go to them about uh, about an illegal thing that they're doing. The guy says, nope, we're going to do that. And then he tries to, you know, blow the whistle on them. And he gets outed in the news and uh, loses his job. And uh, ends up pulling a Robin Hood and just uh, robbing the place and giving the money away. 
And then he gets a little overboard and robs the dude's house. Um, and then drives his Bentley, I think, into the pool. And that's when he gets caught, which uh, is unfortunate, but badass AF. Classic Scotland. Yeah, it's nice. It's, it adds um, a little bit of uh, characterization to him. Like it gives you a little bit behind. I'm not not that I don't think anyone for a moment thought Scott was a bad guy because he was a criminal, but it's just like you get the idea that like he really even tried to go to them and you know work out something, and they wouldn't. They were intentionally trying to screw the customer, so he he took action. And I thought that was a, a nice, just a nice little backstory on, on Scott and a bit understanding more of his motivations and what he's trying to do and why he does it. Yeah, and then it uh, kind of starts and ends with him uh, fighting uh, Peachy for his uh, initiation as he leaves prison there. <laughs> Which I love that scene in the movie when just when you think it's going to be like a gritty prison scene and they always have like a laugh. It's, it's a nice little twist on the prison motif story. Yeah, so uh, Ant-Man is directed by Peyton Reed who I knew at some point, but I, for the life of me, have no idea what he's directed otherwise. Um, enlighten me. Uh, Peyton Reed, actually, he is one of the directors that I'm, I was least familiar with. This initially, and I sort of loved to have seen that, was supposed to be, as you know, directed by Edgar Wright, who did, uh, you know, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, World's End. Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim. Like, just like one of my favorite uh Favorite directors, um, well, not favorite director, but I love him. He's an amazing director. But uh, so I would have liked to have seen. But obviously, he had some clash with Marvel, and you know their visions just didn't meld for whatever reason. So he stepped back. And then yeah, this Peyton Reed guy came on, and I was a bit worried at first because like, uh, you know, I haven't really seen. And even looking at his filmography, I've seen. I haven't seen Bring It On. Like he's done mostly kind of romantic movies, like Bring It On. He directed Bring he directed It On. Bring It On, yeah. He directed The Breakup with Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn, which is a fun movie. He directed Yes Man, which was actually I think we might have seen together, and that that was a good movie. But like you know, nothing really that would uh, not not the same filmography as a lot of other directors coming into this. So you know, I was a bit apprehensive, and uh, you know, he had a, he didn't really I didn't really have full confidence that this movie is actually going to turn out very well because. It, you know, it was a new character, and I love the casting of Paul Rudd, but I could, could have just seen it going the wrong way. But Peyton Reed actually turned this into quite the enjoyable, quite a good little movie, and I very much like it. And uh, we brought a lot of uh, aspects to MCU that we hadn't seen before, and I really liked. Is he directing Ant-Man and the Wasp as yes, well? Yes, he is. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, which now that I've um, seen what he can do with Ant-Man, I'm very excited that he's coming back. And I find a lot of times with the MCU, they don't often, not a lot of times, sometimes they don't always have direct uh, continuity with their directors so like having the same guy do Ant-Man and the Wasp I think will be a good a good is a good play for them uh, I, I like Yes Man it's a good movie it's funny I'm a fan of it but Bring It On is a cinematic masterpiece <laughs> and to have the director of Bring It On directing a Marvel movie I, I can't believe I didn't know that that's amazing I, wow. I have not never Fun. seen Get It On and uh, now I feel like I have to just because it was called a cinematic masterpiece. That's uh, you just call it. Get it on. <laughs> I did call it. Get it on, didn't I? Bring it on. Uh, I, I think I was just so so shocked by the cinematic masterpiece part that I now I'm, I'm definitely gonna have to watch it. Oh man, uh, not extracurricular reading at the moment, but uh, extracurricular listening, more or less. Stay humble. What's it? Bl- blow the fuck up, but stay humble. I think the album's called. Um, there's a song called Man Up featuring Schaefer the Dark Lord. Listen to it. They reference Bring It On, and it's just fantastic, and it's nerdcore rap, and it's it's the definition of being a man and what, what it, it is, and uh, it's just listen to it now. Oh, my God. All right, I'll have to download that. That sounds quite amazing. Musical masterpiece. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay, wow. I didn't know. Oh, man. Now I'm going to go rewatch Bring It On. That's amazing. <laughs> um, I know Cheryl will be so down. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah. Uh, Edgar Wright. Um, it's funny because uh, Sh- Cheryl and I quote Bring It On very regularly, despite me not having seen it in probably 10 years. Um, uh, and when I showed her Scott Pilgrim. That's the closest she's ever gotten to giving a movie five stars. Um, and she forever regrets not giving it five stars and always wonders, should I? Should I have? 
Um, <laughs> she she laughed so much. I've never seen her seen her enjoy a movie so much. Um, and Scott Pilgrim is one of my favorite movies. And the whole movie is just really like the writing and the directing. It's just like the first, I don't know, 50% of the movie is just nonstop laughs. And I feel like that's really apparent in Edgar Wright's touches on the script. Because he still has writing credits on this movie. Um, and the first bit of the movie is just super funny. Oh, um, yeah, that's hilarious. Well, the... The, the very beginning, we, we take place in 1989. Um, it's two years after Janet Van Dyne has uh, passed away. We got Hank Pym uh, dealing with Howard Stark, Peggy, Peggy Carter, and Mitchell Carson, who at the time was the uh, head of defense at S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so, so we have uh, um, Hank Pym, you know, Sticking it to Stark, telling him he can't get his tech, his uh, his tech, and telling him to stop rep- trying to replicate pin pin particles. Uh, we we get Peggy Har- uh, Carter there, which is a great uh, cameo, and always good to see more Haley Atwell. Yeah, it was a cool little uh, cool little intro scene because it like it showed you know in Shield that we we haven't seen Shield much of Shield pre Iron Man, so it was kind of cool seeing uh, you know seeing them at the prime and seeing like the actual players who created it were still involved, like Peggy and. Uh, and uh, um, Stark and stuff. So that that, that 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 was a fun little interesting. That was good for really cool for people who had seen all the movies and and, and you know the, the, the initially were dropped into it. They don't need any context for what's going on. They can just like drop right in and like oh yeah there's there's Howard oh yeah there's Peggy like what are they up to now? Yeah. So uh, that scene's great. Having Hank you know slam Mitchell Carson's face into the desk there is awesome. Um, it's cool seeing the uh, facial technology too, like that they do with the actors, like that allow, like how, how, how like yeah. Hank is like, uh, you know, you can see him when he's younger. How we saw it with Ego in Guardians of the Galaxy, it's really cool because it allows for a lot more storytelling opportunities using the same actor. So I'm really, you know, I th- this is still probably a bit of a ways to go with like the the uh, the likeness. Like I watched like Rogue One the other day, and it's still like an absolute masterpiece. I love the movie, but you can see at some point the Tarkin that it, you know it looks a bit off and it, but very slightly, and we're, that's where we're getting to a point where it's like almost at a point where you can can't even tell anymore so it creates a lot of cool storytelling options even like with tony in civil war when you get to see young tony and he's looking back at it like stuff that wouldn't be possible without like recasting the character or like making him look ridiculous with like wigs and stuff and making him look younger it's really it's really opened up a lot of storytelling yeah. avenues definitely which uh I'm, I'm i'm trying to get to a point here but there's too much stuff to talk about before we get to it so keep in mind edgar wright is shelved I was going to say something about him, but we're working up to it. Uh, so while we're talking about how great this scene is, we should probably talk about Michael Douglas being cast for Hank Pym. Um, I am familiar with Michael Douglas uh, and, and his face and his name, but honestly can't really name anything I've seen him in. Although we did recently watch uh, Don't Say a Word, which uh, it's kind of a terrible movie, it's, it's, but filled with, with fantastic... Uh, performances. I was kind of wondering like, why you guys were watching that movie. It looked, it looked pretty bad. I remember seeing Shadows um, I, don't, I had no interest in seeing that. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't pushing for it. Uh, Cheryl's obsessed with like watching thrillers of any sort. It's like her favorite movie to watch. So she owned it and hadn't actually seen it, so we watched it. Uh, Brittany Murphy in that movie is impressive. Uh, R.I.P. Um, and I generally enjoyed watching uh, Michael Douglas in the movie, but... Uh, also, my man Sean Bean. Oh, is he in that? Classic. Yeah. Does he die? Of course. <laughs> of course. Of co- I even, had to check. I had to ask. Yeah. Even Cheryl was right away. She's like, does that mean he's going to die? And I'm like, yes, that's what Sean Bean does. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So, that that was my experience with, uh, with Michael Douglas. Um, so, having him ca- cast as Hank Pym is, uh, is fantastic. Um and that that leads into uh the um the complicated uh um ant-man legacy um you're still there yeah i'm I'm still here okay i just got super quiet um so so hank pym is ant-man uh he is ant-man the first and this is this is why 
I'm totally fine with them, you know, having other characters take on the mantle of, of, you know, a certain superhero because it's been done so much in Marvel Comics. It's kind of a part of the history. So Hank Pym is, you know, an original Avenger. Um, So is Janet Van Dyne, actually. Uh, Issue number one, they're both on there. Um, Alongside Thor, Hulk, and Iron Man, I believe. Uh, So Hank Pym is the first. The second Ant-Man was Scott Lang. And I'm not familiar with his background and his origin story, but basically, yeah, he steals the suit, and that's kind of his test to to wear it or whatever, right? The third Ant-Man was Eric O'Grady, and he's in a series that I recommend for required reading, uh, extracurricular reading here, um, called Irredeemable Ant-Man. So... It's, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, Hank Pym's a good guy. He tries to be. He's done some questionable stuff in his time. He's, he's also had so many different um, superhero uh, mantles that he's, he's worn. Um, I haven't read a lot of it, but uh, I have the whole West Coast Avengers uh, set, single issues. Um, I would recommend that for any Hawkeye fans. Uh, and Hank Pym's a huge integral part of that, and for a big part of it, he doesn't want to be a superhero. So he goes from being so many different heroes, like, for example, Hank Pym is Ant-Man, and then he turns into Giant-Man, and then uh, he becomes um, Yellow Jacket at a point, which uh, is, is where they get the villain from in this, um, and, and then he, he, I think he gets the name Goliath at some point. So he's had at least four different uh, personas, and for a good part of West Coast Avengers, he just goes by Hank Pym. And he's a part of the Avengers, but as himself, just as a scientist, not as a fighter, right? Um, so I find that super interesting. Uh, and so Eric O'Grady is the third Ant-Man, and I think eventually goes on to become someone called Red Ant, who's a villain. But yeah, so Hank, Hank Pym is a good guy. Scott Lang is, you know, a thief uh, and an ex-con, but also a good guy where he has his moments. Eric O'Grady is a dirtbag <laughs> who uh, is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. He's super lazy. He's super greasy. He steals the Ant-Man suit and uses it to, like, spy on girls in the shower and, like, sneak into their purses and do all sorts of shady That was a Marvel storyline? Wow, that sounds yeah, dark. It's amazing. <laughs> I highly recommend it. It's such a twisted, like, unusual, unique story. Um... And there's a character in it who uh, is a villain, and his name is Mitchell Carson. And he uh, is a completely different character in it, but he's villainous. So when Mitchell Carson, who at the time is the defensive, you know, head of defense at S.H.I.E.L.D., later on is ex-defensive head, uh, ex-head of defense at S.H.I.E.L.D., and then later on, later on, we find out that he's, uh, you know, uh, bumping elbows there with Hydra, and was probably Hydra all along. So that's kind of a little nod that, that he's going to be dirty right from the start. The fact that we know his name's Mitchell Carson. And for Irredeemable Ant-Man fans, uh, they, they might catch that. Um, so, so that's the beginning thing. And then we jump straight into the present where we have Scott Lang and his initiation or whatever. So back to, to Edgar Wright and his directing style. I feel like the start of Ant-Man, the first like five minutes or so after this one scene is just like a roller coaster of, of laughs and jokes and very reminiscent of how Scott Pilgrim was, where it's just nonstop. And it, it really shows that it was Edgar Wright writing this. Um, and, and isn't near, there's a lot of funny movie, moments in the movie, but I feel like just this like nonstop barrage of laughs is very Edgar Wright. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting how much of the script, I'm sure there probably is the original script, like how much of how much of a change. I'm sure they retained the law because it wasn't, I don't think it was ever an issue with the writing. I think it was just like there was con- conflicting differences w- w- with what Marvel and what Edgar Wright wanted to do with the movie. But I'm sure a good chunk of his, yeah. his uh, screenplay, like the, the screenplay that we saw was his. And then Paul Rudd and uh, whoever else came on to probably just like did a couple of rewrites and polished things up a little bit and added some more humor and stuff. But I, I have a feeling a lot of what we saw in Ant-Man or a good chunk of it anyway, was probably left over from the Edgar Wright uh, era. Definitely. Um, cause yeah, right off the bat, uh, we got the weird bit where, you know, it's the initiation. He goes, man, you guys do some weird initiations or whatever, weird traditions. And, and like, that's so odd and oddball and, and hilarious. And then, 
He's getting the ride back with Louise. Yeah, uh, Louise, the best character in the movie by far. Michael Pena. He is uh, the phase two core. <laughs> um, I've seen so many memes about it. Like when they did the Entertainment Weekly Infinity War covers, someone was like, oh, here's the cover they forgot. And someone just posted Louise and Korg on the cover. Um, <laughs> they're, they're the two funniest characters and best characters in the MCU for sure. Um and yeah, where he's got his scene where he's, he's like, so man, how's, uh, how's, uh, how's your girl? And he goes, oh, she left me. And he's smiling. He's like, oh, my mom died. And then he's still smiling. He's got this totally happy face on him. He's like, yeah, my dad got deported. <laughs> he's like, oh. And he's got this total smile on his face. And he's like, yeah, but I got to keep the car. That's sweet, right? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and, like, that line is just so ridiculous. And then it goes from that to, like, you know, him working at Baskin Robbins and, like, the dude being like, oh, man, I'll have a I'll have a burger with fries. He's like, we don't have that. He's like, hot, hot pretzel? Hot pretzel with, uh, like, mustard dip? <laughs> He's like, dude, we're Baskin Robbins. He's like, okay, well, whatever's, like, hot and fresh then. It's like, really? <laughs> well, that's Paul Rudd. Then, like, he's, he's got, Paul Rudd's also, like, you know, he comes from... I think he's probably, of everyone they've cast, he's probably the most comedic actor that they've got for... Uh, for the lead role in an MCU movie, so I feel that was part yeah. of, like they they and that, that you're right. That's exactly what works so well with the movies. There's there's a lot of like gut busting like hilarious yeah. humor. Yeah, and and yeah, and you know the Baskin Robbins always find out, and the guy's like, oh yeah, man, sorry, I got to fire you, obviously. <laughs> like it's just like right off the bat, like way too many laughs, and I love it. It's very Edgar Wright style, and that Baskin Robbins joke does does kind of smell a Paul Rudd now that you mention it. Actually, that seems like something he would do. Right. Um, God, I've had that working at a cafe. People asking if we have pizza, and I'm like, dude, we serve coffee and fucking bagels, man. Why, why the fuck would we have pizza? Never heard. Well, like ask. chicken wings. I'm like, do you see a fucking deep fryer here? Like, we are not talking about about this kind of food. Like, I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's a, like a little different. Like, we we get a lot of like we get a lot of like immigration and stuff. So like with cultural differences. It, it, surprise me too much but yeah seeing this like white teenager come into baskin robbins and be like yeah man give me something hot and fresh it's just like it's really the epitome <laughs> of uh customer service there in fast food um yeah so so we go to uh their apartment there um which i think is is in a place called milgram hotel or at some point there's something called the milgram hotel which i looked up and al milgram uh, was was another uh, Marvel writer that, that did a lot of stuff, uh, mostly West Coast Avengers, which would be huge, uh, huge um, stuff on on Hank Pym. So the fact that he got referenced in this is not super surprising. Um, we see uh, Louise's uh, buddies there, Kurt and Dave. Yeah, I love uh, his crew. Yeah, Dave's played by Ti, which is so random. Yeah. <laughs> He should uh, he should be in Infinity War as a candle guy. Who who should be? Dave. Dave is candle guy. Why? Because that's the that's my favorite Ti line. Uh, you know my love by Justin Timberlake. Uh yeah, I know of it. I think. Yeah, it's got Ti in it, and then in his like his guest verse or whatever, he's like, what does he go? He's like. T.I. they call me Candle Guy simply because I am on fire. Oh, okay. So, as, so why, why do you want him in Infinity War? So Candle Guy, that would be his adventure. Oh. <laughs> Sounds like a superhero. I think it does. Plus, I just love T.I. I love him. This, this, uh, I actually remember seeing it on... Uh, I, I, I know him from that song, and then I remember I was on Lulinx back in the day, and someone was like... T.I. is the, like, most arrogant rapper. He actually has a line where he's like, if God had a play iPod, I'd be on his playlist. <laughs> and then I was like, that's next level, like, <laughs> puffery when it comes to rap music. Like, bravo, T.I. Yes, that's, uh, that's actually um, pretty badass. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, so, yeah, T.I. is Dave. It's fantastic. Uh and then the guy, Kurt, the, the hacker, I, I like him. He's pretty funny. They, they have a bunch of, uh, the three of them have, like, really just funny 
lines together. Yeah, good really chemistry, like. like good humor, yeah. and it adds to like the heist mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. Um, we got uh, Evangeline Lilly's Hope Van Dyne. Yeah, she's which I didn't, I didn't seen her in a whole lot other than she's she's obviously doing quite well for herself because she was obviously Kate on Lost and then. I don't know. I always thought uh, like after that she'd she'd kind of blow up, but then she took a few years off or whatever. Then she was in like The Hobbit, and then she was in this. So she's obviously doing quite well. Yeah. Like, this is a good role for her. She's gonna, I think technically now with Ant Man the Wash, she's going to be the first female superhero in a movie title. I mean, I know Captain Marvel is technically the first one, but the Wasp is going to beat it beat her to it by just a few months. Yeah, true. Yeah, she's great in this. Um, she's she's uh, she, I really like her character. Like. Yeah, you know, you you don't know from the start whether like, you know, if she's if she's fully invested, then you realize like once Scott comes with her, she's like, yeah, she is like she's more invested than anyone in getting this done, and they really build a lot of tension off of her and in, in her relationship with Darren. Totally, uh, Darren Cross is also an iconic uh, Ant Man villain in some of the stuff I've read. I think mostly with Scott Lang. Um, uh, he's played by an actor whose name I don't know, but. Uh, I loved in House of Cards, um, and I enjoy him as Darren Cross in this. Uh, he, again, he's not the most like multifaceted villain. He's just kind of fucked in the head from the whole the whole bit and his relationship with uh, with Hank Pym and you know his vengeance for that and his the fact that he kind of knows everything that's going on, but you don't find out until the very end. It's interesting. He's, he's a good villain. I like him. He's not. Not next level, but I can't complain too much about him. Interesting. I'd, um, I'd rank him. I, I don't like dislike him, but I'd probably rank him towards the lower tier of the Mar- Marvel villains, just because there's not a whole lot to him. I guess it's just like he wants the suit. He yeah. wants to, you know, use it for his own means, and like that's kind of it, you know. Yeah. So he's not horrible or anything, but I definitely rank him towards. I think it's one of the bigger pratfalls of the uh, this movie is is the villain is I'd say one of the weaker ones, but it's. You know, it's. Eh. I I like it because he's like he's industrial. He's kind of like this is what happens when you sell out. This is what happens when you put profit first. You know, this is what Tony Stark could have been. Um, but it's also very clear that the, the pin particles have been messing with him in the head. He's not totally stable, and I, I like that twist to him. And then I also like he's talking to to Hope and he and how he justifies these things. Like he's clearly not. Like, uh, Hank Pym at some point's like, I think this thing has been messing with his head, and, like, Darren wasn't the most, you know, stable of people even before this. Um, and he's talking to Hope at some point. He's like, I was meditating the other day, and I had a thought that I think applies to you, too. And, like, just that whole line sounds very, like, you know, you're talking about meditating and, like, being self-reflective and all of these things. These are very positive, like, yoga millennial type thoughts and like ways of speaking and the fact that someone that is like a murderer and is fucked in the head is saying things like this I just find really interesting one it shows that he is clearly you know not right in the head and that he's taking preventative measures to try and fix this but I mean the whole concept of meditation is opening your mind to things and like you know uh thinking kind of outside of the box and just opening yourself up to something bigger than you. But like, if you use a tool like that to justify your own, your own feelings and really just in, in the wrong way, I find that a really interesting concept and kind of like a really subtle part about his character. Yeah. It's something I didn't really consider and that, that does make it a bit more interesting for sure. Yeah. I don't think, from what I've read of Darren Cross, I don't think he had too much substance to him as a character in the comics, so I feel like they built on that, if anything. Um, I don't know that Ant-Man has a ton of villain, like a, a huge rogue gallery to choose from. Like, in the Silver Age comics that I've read, his villain was was Egghead, not a fantastic villain. <laughs> um, uh Darren Cross is a specific one and kind of the iconic one. And also good because you kind of need someone that's trying to... Your first villain should always kind of be a foil to your main character. So the fact that they're giving him the yellow jacket suit, um, which is a Hank Pym thing, not a real villain. Um, I think at some point someone probably used the suit against him. Um, I'm not quite sure the history for that. But the fact that, yeah, literally they're... They're putting Darren Cross in this yellow jacket suit because he doesn't have a real villain that works that way. It's kind of interesting. 
Um, even in Ant-Man and the Wasp, I'm not sure if you're super familiar with it, uh, I think the villain is Ghost. No, I'm not. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure their villain is Ghost, who I think is more of an Iron Man villain, to be honest. Um, but I think it works super well with Ant-Man. Um, I'm super stoked about it. Ghost is a dope villain. I've actually always really liked him. Um, what, what little I know about him, I think I saw in uh, Dark Avengers. So, um, I think I failed to mention that as uh, extracurricular reading oh, when we were talking about Iron Man 3. Shame. Um, because that's the first appearance of the Iron Patriot and touches on a lot of fantastic things. Um, but, uh, also has Ghost in the single issue of it, so, uh, everyone should read that, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, and then. Yeah, so we see Darren Cross like just nonchalantly murdering a dude that works for him. And, you know, That's a pretty cool scene though when he when he, he is that yeah. when he kills him and then the uh, wipes, wipes him. him. Yeah, like that was just, that was yeah. like that, that's what I mean. That's why like it doesn't really hurt the movie too much because like this movie doesn't really need a villain the same way the other because this is like a heist movie it doesn't really need a villain the same way the other movies do so it doesn't really hurt it exactly. the strength comes from the ensemble which it, this movie has in spades because like all the protagonists are so likable and like you know good characters and you know that that's why it doesn't really hurt the, the movie all that much that Darren isn't the best villain but then there are scenes like that like that is a badass scene where he just like blasts him like with no remorse and then wipes yeah. him off the floor like that's that's pretty that's pretty crazy agreed so while I enjoy what, you know, what they give Darren Cross, his whole uh, mentor issues with Hank Pym and stuff, uh, you're right, it's not super necessary. They kind of carry the lack of a villain on other things. Exactly. Um, that being said, we haven't talked about uh, rankings yet. Uh, I, I give I give Ant-Man four and a half because I find it so funny and so clever and so different and so unique um, that, yeah, it's, it's pretty close to what did I five get stars, it? so four and a half. I, I, think, I think it and Age of Ultron, I both had it four and a half at some point. Then when the Phase three started coming out. I had to do my scaling and like, you know, I rewatched them not too too long. Like I rewatched everything after Guardians of the Galaxy a bit more recently, like a few months ago, uh, when I was catching up on all the comics. Anyway, long story short, um, I gave this four stars, and it's another one that I could I, I have given four and a half to because it was such a, it was such a surprise and it was so well done. It, it I just don't know if it's quite on the level of like Spider Man Homecoming of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Of Black Panther, um, of the original Iron Man, so that's why it's so hard when it comes to rating and stuff. Because on its own, if this movie existed in a continuum outside of its own, I'd probably give it four and a half because it is like super charming, super funny, super great ensemble, bit of a weak villain. But that's really kind of the only detriment to this movie, and that, like we said, that's not even that big of a deal. So uh, I gave it four, but I could, like Age of Ultron, I could at times give it a four and a half. Because I have to find when you when you watch um, it, it can affect how you rate it too. Like that's why like sometimes when you, when you you know me and you both will see a new Marvel movie, you might give it a five right off the bat. Then like wait a second, was that a five star movie? So that's, I mean it's very fluid and it can change and it's not rigid. So like, I could see the yeah. next time I watch Ant Man, I could give it four and a half. Yeah, like I can say uh, I think Doctor Strange is probably going to get knocked down to four and a half because I originally gave it five stars, but that is a little. Um, a little uh, generous, I would say. Yeah, that's what I think we we both do is when a new movie comes out, we're overly, yeah. overly can be overly generous to it, and you know, so that that you know, but then with time, this what movie was great right from the start. So, yeah, it's a back and forth, I guess. I, I stick with four and a half for this one, though. I honestly find it like I was watching it, and there were scenes where I couldn't help but laugh, even after having seen it a couple times. Um, rewatching these movies over and over, and some of them start to kind of lose. You know, my attention at certain points where I'm like almost a little bored just because I know what's going to happen and I'm not like super psyched that I just kind of want to get farther into it and stuff. Um, but this this movie had so many lines where I just like couldn't help but laugh. Uh, just found it super clever, even knowing what the punchline was going to be. Um, I guess that's true. I really thought about it. This is this is your second time doing uh, an MC rewatch since I think you've been on Letterbox, correct? Because you did you do one. Last year, and then you did this one for the for the movie. Is is that right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I had Letterbox when I was watching them, though. Um, 
I think at a certain point I might have. I forget. But, uh, yeah, no, I didn't have Letterboxd because I started watching these from the get-go, like, when I first met Cheryl. So um, it wasn't until, I don't know, like a year ago that I got Letterboxd. But, ah. yeah, second rewatch in a fairly short amount of time, um, considering, you know, what's been coming out since. Um, yeah, so uh, another little Easter egg here. We got Darren Cross. uh talking about the Ant-Man uh, to, you know, all these people and introducing the yellow jacket suit. And he, he talks about it. And he's like, oh, you know, these seem like unreal stories, you know, like tales to astonish. Well, even that one I got. And tales... Sorry to drop to the... Yeah. No, no, yeah. So that's... that's uh, And they, they mention Journey into Mystery in, like, every Thor movie, I think. Uh, and Tales to Astonish is where, uh, where an Ant-Man debuted. And it's regrettable they never said tales of suspense in uh, any of the Iron Man movies. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm currently reading uh, 1963 comics right now. Um, the next Tales to... I'll probably read it tonight. The next Tales to Astonish... Or, sorry. Yeah, Tales to Astonish comic I'm going to read is actually the debut of The Lost, which is super exciting. Um, and his comics are so fun. Uh because the ones I'm reading, I've reread a fair bit of them, but all the Ant-Man ones I can reread, and I just find them super fun for Silver Age. They're so unique and different. Um, yeah. So, we get introduced to Cassie Lang, um, who's so cute. Oh my god, the girl that plays her, she's absolutely adorable in this movie. Uh, really great casting, because you immediately are like, how can you not relate to Scott Lang? <laughs> like, look at how cute his daughter is, with her teeth missing in the front and stuff, and and, and just her reaction to everything. Um, and Cassie Lang, uh, I want to say her superhero name is Stature. Uh, she's a member of the original oh, wow. Young Avengers. Um, yeah. Uh, which is a fantastic team. I haven't actually read them I know they had a, a tie with Runaways at some point, but uh, yeah, she is a young Avenger. She goes, uh, she goes big with Pym particles. I just realized with her, is she the first MCU character that's had a child in the movies like that? Like that, that's Thor doesn't have kids, Captain America, Iron Man, uh, Black Widow, Oh Hawkeye has kids. Okay, so there are just I hadn't really picked up on that. There's so there's not very much uh, hmm. in the way of family. Like not many people have like large families in the MCU. Yeah, and we don't find out about Hawkeye until yeah. literally the movie before this. So, yeah, he's got he's got a, a daughter, which is it adds a fresh dynamic to the movie um, too. When he's kind of doing all this, having to worry about his daughter, like it actually uh, that's what you think about is that like you haven't we haven't seen that in like an MCU movie, movie before. Even in Age of Ultron, like Hawkeye wasn't really worried for the you know providing for his family or his family security, but so that's that's an interesting little twist. <laughs> totally. Um... Another uh, great scene that I feel like smells of uh, of Edgar right is uh, when Louise is is telling the uh, yes. story to Scott about the um, the job and they have him narrating while all the other people are, are it's it's like his voice is dubbed over their their mouths yeah that seems so like, good amazing um, and it's such a really neat scene uh, and and both times this happens at the beginning at the end and both times he. He's like, let me tell you all the details. And then he goes off. He's like, yo, this, they had this amazing rosé, but you know I'm not a rosé man. You know, like, I prefer, like, the Cabernets. Am I right? And then he's like, no, no, he's like, wrong details. Like, it's not at all related. He's like, oh, sorry. He just, like, gets off track. <laughs> Funniest character. Um, also, a weird thing I noticed, uh, in the Baskin-Robbins scene, and I haven't seen any stuff about Easter eggs on this, but the, the guy the manager at Baskin-Robbins or whatever, in his, like, pencil cup or whatever on his desk, it looks like there's this little figurine that almost looks like a Lego character with, like, wings, and I don't wow. know what the hell it is. But I'm pretty sure the same figurine pops up in Hank Pym's drawer when Scott's looking for the tape and, and glue and stuff to break Interesting. Does it have any significance that you think, or No. Not that I can think of. I couldn't figure out what it would what it would kind of reference. It was super weird. Um, yeah, I thought it was really weird that like the similar same thing. If I could figure out what it was, maybe I could see what the meaning was. Or just some weird prop that found its way into a lot of stuff. I don't know, but uh, it's interesting. 
Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, he gets the suit and stuff like that, and all the stuff they do with the suit and the effects for that I find really fun um, to take on, you know, uh, his powers. Ant-Man is honestly... When they made a lot of these superheroes, some of their powers are super dumb, uh, you know, in the Silver Age, and some of them are, like, kind of cool, and some of them are just ridiculous. Uh, you know, like, during the Silver Age, like, Thor is really seen as, like, the most powerful creature in the universe or whatever, but then so is the Hulk, and you're like, what? And then the Fantastic Four, their powers are pretty good, although the Human Torch is just, like, so broken all the time, way too overpowered. Um, and all of this stuff, and, and like... I feel like Ant-Man's is the most original, though. Like, he shrinks, um, and he has the same strength as a normal man. That's, like, really, I don't know, unique and different and interesting. And then he communicates with ants, which is, like, a broken power. Like, even seeing everything Hank Pym does with the ants, even though he can't wear the suit, is crazy. And, like, that on its own is, like, next level. Like, he... He has ants listening around to police broadcasts in the comics so that he always knows what's going on and he can communicate with them. Like, that's crazy. Well, that's a fine thing. I remember when this movie was coming out and I was excited to see it. Like, uh, you know, a lot of my more mainstream people I knew, like, who do, you know, like some Marvel movies but I haven't seen them all, or just like, you know, they, they thought it was, like, so silly. I remember thinking, like, this is a universe where there's, like, a, you know, a god who can fly. There's a man with a, you know, a jewel in his head. There's a man who flies around in a tin suit. There's a man who's alive from the 1940s. Like, I don't get how the concept of someone shrinking and gaining size is, like, that outlandish for, you know, for a movie. And I remember thinking, like, that's very surprising. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, anyone that was skeptical that's not a... A big Marvel fan, like I mean, they got two words. For I them. know that's what I mean. Oh, the, the right. cast is so good. That's why this. I, I, I when I went into this movie, I, I, I didn't have low expectations, but they weren't like sky high. They're just like you know, I'm sure it'll probably be good. And it ended up being a lot better than you know, being really good. And that, that's what I, I hope people realize now. It's actually like a really solid movie, and it's a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um. So yeah, we have him uh, using the suit. Um, I love. I love that Scott names. Oh yeah, names. <laughs> poor Anthony. Super great, poor Anthony. R.I.P. Um, and when he's flying around on Anthony at the beginning, he's on a bus and he gets in someone's hair, and then someone swats at him with a newspaper. And on the newspaper, the headline in, in one of the—I don't think it's like the first page headline, but in the side on the first page there it says, "Who's to blame for Sokovia?" Ah, which is a fun. Oh, speaking of, have you watched? Did you end up watching the? Uh... Oh no! I wasn't sure where to get a hold of them, and I have been so completely bushed with school and stuff. I've still got a ton of cat profiles to write and stuff uh, that I'm hoping to fit in tomorrow. So I really didn't have. I mean, I you were ready to podcast like half an hour before I was because I was still finishing up Batman. So I was like, I don't even know where to find the WHIH news stuff, um, and. Yeah, because you said some of them take place before Ant Man and some take place. Yeah, so that's, that's what you think about. Is some they're not very heavy to the plot, but uh, I would not consider your MCU, you know, your MCU viewing complete until you watch that and Agent Carter. Until then, you're always going to have that that canon open, yeah. and uh, I, I don't want to see that happen to you. You deserve better. Yeah, so I'll have to hunt that down somewhere, but. Uh... I think it's safe to say we, we don't. Oh no, no! I just wanted to podcast. check to see if you actually watched Since it. I missed but, it. Uh, so make sure you do, so you don't disappoint our listeners, like you've disappointed me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we we have Scott training with help, uh, trying to you know control the ants and get you know used to the ants and meet all the ants and then all the physical training. And when he's training, uh, you see some kind of cool stuff. There's, like, some general stuff. Like, you, there's, like, a rock climbing wall in their training room and, like, gymnast hoops and, like, a boxing bag and all this stuff. Like, that's, you know, good and makes sense. And there's also, like, a kendo poster on the wall, which I found really interesting. Um, uh, because it says that Hope went through martial arts during a tough time. And uh, I'm very interested in who learned kendo and who learned to wield the sword that was an Ant-Man character. Like, oh, that's, interesting. That's yeah, I didn't pick up on that. Um, but that's what, yeah, those training scenes are really good because you can tell Hope's frustration like that she thinks that it should be her 
going on this, uh, going on this mission, and so the the the, the, the yeah. montage and the training when he's learning all this does give a good idea of like where she's coming from with all of this that's happening. Yeah, um, and I I really like Evangeline Lilly in this role. I'm not crazy about her as an actress. Um, I know we're both not really the yeah. biggest Kate fans, um, but. Yeah, it's not it's not necessarily her as an actress. Like Kate was just like a rough character that I don't think anyone could have really done justice to. But I do think she's like like seeing her in this and uh, and even on Lost, like in her scenes where she had to act, like she can she is a good actress and like so that's why and she just need. But I am surprised though, like that she's being such big blockbusters. So like, it's pretty cool to see. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know that I cared for her either in The Hobbit. Like. To really show off her chops, I guess, but uh, she's won me over in this yeah. one, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of winning over, um, when Scott goes to the new Avengers facility and Falcon showed up in the movie, that was one of my favorite Absolutely. MCU moments. Like, it's not very often you see a cameo. So like unexpected, that too. That that was the thing, because Ant Man, you know, awesome when, when the origin stories at this point, when, when it's guys like Ant Man and Doctor Strange were. They're kind of on... Even Doctor Strange had to cross over with Thor a little bit, but you know what I mean? Where they're on their own, you're not expecting them to be interacting with other characters as much. So, like, that one was a complete surprise. And it wasn't, like, mm-hmm. anyone's suit... Like, Falcon's, like, well-known in the MCU at this point, but it's not like he's running into, like, Iron Man or, like, Captain America. It's, like, more of a minor... Not minor, right? I don't like he's not word, but just not as integral to the entire MCU, which I like. It's just, like, another Avenger that he happens to run into. It's, like, good world-building and a lot of fun. So I agree. Yeah. Totally. I mean, because we, we see, yeah, like we see Thor in, in Doctor Strange, but it's an after the credit scene, and you kind of expect stuff like that every now and then, the small appearance. Um, and, you know, like Hulk being in Thor Ragnarok, like that was a huge selling point of the movie, and we knew that was happening. So to go into the theaters not expecting it and see Falcon for like an entirety of like five minutes in the movie. And when that also has the probably my level. favorite, the funniest scene in the entire movie is when. He's uh, he's on the when Falcon finally like tracks him down. He's like, I, he can't see me. Then Falcon's like, I can see you. And then he just fucking then he goes big. He says, Hi, I'm yeah. Scott. And <laughs> Hope's watching. He's like, Did he just say hi? I'm Scott. I'm, like, I was, that was probably one of the single most moments in yeah. the entire MCU where I was just dying. Like that was so fucking funny. It is like such a good way to use Paul Rudd's humor and like, yeah. oh, just so awesome. And yeah, and even his reactions after that. He's like, I'm Ant Man. He's like. Ant-Man? I've never heard of you. He's like, yeah, you probably haven't heard of me. And then he's like, of course he hasn't fucking heard of me. Like, no one knows who I am. What am I talking about? And you can, like, see his inner dialogue. Like, oh my god, what am I... What? No. No? And, yeah, it just kills me. That whole scene is fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I laugh my Agreed. ass off. Agreed. I, 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 I love that scene. Um, and it makes sense, too. It brings... A, it allows Ant-Man uh, to be brought into, like, the MCU in a realistic way. Because, like, at the end of the movie, he's like, I know someone. When he shows a scene from Civil War, it's like, oh yeah, he knows Ant-Man. Like, that actually makes sense, and Ant Man actually had pretty, ends up having a pretty pivotal role in the airport battle in Civil War, and that's another jaw dropping moment. Yeah. Um, oh god, yeah. Uh, with with Civil War being the follow up to this movie, I think it was really, really important to have an Avenger in this movie for like five minutes and not just an after the credit scene. I feel like that really helped build the world and the validity yeah. that he's going to be in that movie. Um, so, so we have the whole heist happening, um, another fun Easter egg, uh, I, I love Louise talking, he's like, I have this idea, like, I, I get in character, you know, as a security guard, like, I do a thing, like, I whistle, and then, like, the look, I, the look on his face, anytime yeah. he says anything, Michael Bean is the man. Me. Uh, so good, and then, uh, when he's in the, you know, doing the security guard thing, <laughs> He is whistling, which is funny and a great joke. But, and I, I don't know if I caught this before. I think I might have, but he's very clearly whistling. It's a small world after all, which is really funny given. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did not even pick up on that. That's super clever. Oh, yeah, no, because that is something that is one of those things I never really yeah. paid attention to. That I, but do you see that in a lot of, like, heist movies and movies like that or uh, where they're trying to look at conspicuous and they're whistling? And it's like, when you think about that actually happening, it's like the biggest giveaway and it's such, like, a dumb thing to do. So the fact that he asked and they said no and he still did it anyway is, like, so perfect. <laughs> it fits his character so well. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And it's funny because, like, with Hot Fuzz, the way that it is, which I haven't seen, but again, in my uh, my film class, we talked about it and watched an example. Um, the whole movie is really, like, a parody and also, like, an homage to, to you know, action movies being thrown into, like, a small British police officer movie kind of thing, right? So it would be very Edgar Wright to... Uh, to mock something like that and kind of poke fun at it because he's a huge, you know, appreciator of the arts himself and, and a, a huge movie fan. Um, so, so that would have been. So first off, me seeing not seeing Bring It On is like nothing in comparison to you not seeing Hot Fuzz. My God, how 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 are you? Have you seen Shaun of the Dead? Have you yes, seen World Yeah, End? of course. Um, Okay, well, you need to rect- Next time you guys are looking for a movie to watch, one of those two. That's like, that's non-negotiable. That's the. Oh, I'm a little bit disappointed in you as like a human being right now, and uh, I don't know if I'll be able to forgive you, to be quite honest. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen the uh, the the trilogy. Um, Blood and Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, wow, I, I just assumed you had. I'm, I'm I, shocked. I know it's not Edgar Wright, but I have seen Run. Uh, well, Run. Simon Pegg, it, it doesn't really help, but I mean, I love Simon Pegg, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to. Well, you've seen. Well, you got it because you've seen um, um, Baby Driver, you've seen. Um, well, Ant Man doesn't really count. So, yeah, I guess you've seen World's End. Scott Pilgrim, that's what I mean. So, Scott you need to Pilgrim. just see World's End and Hot Fuzz, and you'll be good to go. Yeah, totally. Um, I also haven't seen the, like, At World's End, like, American ripoff or whatever with, like, James Franco and stuff. I feel like what? it's like, no. almost the no, same. No, no, you're, I think you're thinking of this. No, no, the, the, At World's yeah. End is, like, they're, they're bar hopping and it's, like, uh, in, 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 like, it's, like, a sci-fi and it's not really the, no, no they're, they're, they're not related. They just have similar titles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, it was the titles that, that. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Edgar Wright. It's on the list. I'll get there one day. Um, another fun nod here that I like is that, uh, at the beginning of the movie, um, when, when Scott's talking about, you know, getting punched by Peachy or whatever, and then Louise goes, so I guess I'm still the only one that's ever knocked him out. And then Scott goes, yeah, because I sure as hell didn't. Um, and you're like, damn, like, Louise knocked out this huge guy? Like, he must have a hell of a right fist. And then when he goes and is like, oh, I'm here to, uh, boss man sent me in to, like, check this out. And the guy goes, I'm the boss man. And then he just right hooks the guy and knocks him out in one punch. That's kind of like, damn, no wonder he knocked out Peachy. Like, he's that's got so a I forgot they call him boss man. That's so, that's so fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, even just, like, talking about this movie, like, um, all the jokes and stuff, like, the amount that we're laughing is, like, it really is one of the, it's up there with Guardians 2, up there with Thor Ragnarok is definitely one of the funnier movies of the MCU, and that's saying a lot, because a lot absolutely. of the movies are, especially when you compare it to, like, DC, when they're, the, you know, their movies are so grim and all the time, like, you need humor in these comic book movies, and, like, that's one thing I think the Marvel movies have always excelled in comparison to any, like, even, like, the X-Men movies or, like, other superhero movies, they've always had that humor and, and, and not have it be too much, you know? Like, it's always, like, realistic, like, banter and, like, humor that fits the movie, and uh, I hope they continue to do it throughout all the future movies. Definitely. Uh, yeah, they, they really take the whole weirdness of Ant-Man and make the humor great. Like, even when he's first in the suit and he gets sucked up by the vacuum cleaner and then just pops out of the bag, like, that's straight out of a Silver Age. Oh, really? Like, that I've already read. Nice. Like, that's a good bit. Yeah. Because um, someone's just like, oh, I sucked up Ant-Man in this this vacuum bag. Like, I've got you trapped. And then he's like, dude, no, I have the power of a normal man. I can <laughs> bag. Like, and it's like, right off the bat, they're, they're working with that stuff. And you think you've got them they don't. Um, but, like, the Thomas the Tank Engine bit you know sh- like enlarging that with the disc and then the the fight scene where you know they're he gets hit by a train and then it cuts to the 
the the train hitting him, and it's, it's just it's a toy hitting. Which him. is part of what makes it work so well. They don't take it over seriously exactly. and try and do like they they actually lean into the humor of that, yeah. and that's why like that fight works. It's like there's a lot of drama when they're in like cool stuff when they're fighting close up, and then when you see it from you know his daughter's perspective, and yeah, it's just like the train falling over these tiny little sound effects like that. Leaning into that humor is part of why this works. Like even in I saw in the Ant Man and the Wasp trailer at the end when it shows like they use the Pez dispenser, like it's small, and then the Pez, yeah. I was just gonna say, yeah, the Hello Kitty Pez dispenser, like that. Using that kind of humor in the movie, I don't, I don't think Ant Man and the Wasp will be as funny as Ant Man was, just because, like, how do you top a script written by Edgar Wright? But I mean, with Paul, with Paul Rudd on it, hopefully it's, I'm it's comparable at least. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic it'll be great because, like, it's really hard to take a script and take over for a director and make a good movie, as we've seen. Um, and Peyton Reed did a fantastic job at that. Like, the movie's super cohesive and strong and, like, a standalone good film. Um, so, so I know it'll at least be that, if not as funny as the original. I'm still okay with that, because Wasp is that. Agreed. Um, yeah, so, uh, so we get the whole heist thing going on. Uh, we have Mitchell Carson popping back up, uh, with his Hydra buddies. And I missed this, but one of the people there, alongside the Hydra Buddies, has a Ten Rings oh, tattoo on his neck. That's fine. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a nice tie. That's back. a really clever tie-in. Um, yeah, and apparently Peyton Reed was going to have Carson get caught in the end and arrested, but he left it open, which I like uh, when people do. Just not when they leave too many things open, and it feels like it's just kind of like they're writing the film so they can cover the sequel. Like, just make a good movie and, and then deal with the fallout, you know? Um... But he left it open, so Mitchell Carson, he steals the yellow jacket uh, fuel off of um, off of someone's body and then runs off with it, and you never see him again. So he's still alive oh. out there somewhere with that, which is fun. Um, excuse me. Um, yeah, yeah, before we talk about the aftermath of the... The battle. Any uh, hmm. thing you want to touch on? There? Is there anything that we didn't cover? No, I think we got pretty much all of it. Just how funny this movie was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the ping pong uh, paddle and hitting yeah. the yellow jacket into the 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 fly zapper. There is hilarious. I also really like the scene when he's getting pulled away and then the fly zapper like zaps him, and you hear Darren Cross like screaming. I find that to be a really powerful. True. Scene. Yeah, no, no, it's it's excellent. I, I want to see Marvel take more risks like this movie. Like not not that they they had like like you know movies like Black Panther are, are amazing stuff. That was a risk like like that too. So that's why I want to see them make movies like that. And I also want to see more genre movies like this. I think I think there was another genre. Oh, like we were talking we were talking about Captain America one. Like how that's a World War Two movie. How this is like a heist movie. I'd like to kind of I don't know how it would work, but when they when they experiment with genre and apply it to the Marvel template, I really like it. So I'd like to see them try and do stuff like this in the future and I'd like to see and another lot the last thing is I like the small stakes of this movie like how it's not you know compared to like the other movies like where like literally the entire worlds could end this is more you know a guy has like a technology which could go if in the wrong hands could do a lot of damage but like the you know it's the implications of it that are more vague and I'm fine with that like not every Marvel movie has to be save the world some of them can like this and Spider-Man Homecoming can have like smaller stakes and still tell just as good a story Totally. Uh, I want to see uh, an MCU. An MCU wrong? See that, that would actually that, that so could be like, interesting. Let's hear your uh, let's hear your idea. Yeah. So so the the villain and the the hero don't actually. I mean, they should probably fight it out. But the whole premise is that the villain's just trying to steal the girl from the guy, and you know the guy falls in love with the girl and the meat cute, and he's trying to keep a secret identity, and you know. When she finds out his secret identity, she she leaves him, and then he, you know, you think it's over, but then they run back into each other's arms, and uh, yeah, really have like next to no superhero epicness to it, except for maybe a final battle where the battle. Gets yeah, that's what I like the idea, like stuff like that, like like flipping, you know, deconstructing the the genre, like that, that, that's why I think movies that do that, like Logan, particularly, like. Are, are the strongest of the comic book here. Like, things like Watchmen, where they kind of deconstruct, like... And not that every Marvel movie... Most Marvel, Marvel movies don't need to do that, but, like, I, I like the idea of them, like... I really hope they kind of get a bit more experimental after 
phase three, like whenever whenever Avengers four and the we were, I'm just assuming there's going to be a soft reboot coming because I, I think there probably will be, but I want to see them in the next if there is any sort of reboot to really try and go out there with like these ideas, like you said, like go with these theories that don't even sound like superhero movies, like like your romantic comedy idea. Just you know, I think with the right talent, which Marvel seems to be attracting in spades, they can really get out there and do some really cool things. Um, what other fun stuff to mention? Uh, the tank keychain. Yes, another great idea. I feel like Ant Man and the Wasp is just kind of taking a lot of the great ideas from the first and just like running with it. Like you see him with the like, he's got his suitcase yeah. skyscraper there. That's like that's a brilliant idea. Take it to the next level. Um, I think it's an Avengers uh, cartoon that's on Netflix. Uh, they have. Uh, the whole premise, it starts off, you know, we see different Avengers and their, their solo episodes and stuff. Um, and there's these four major prisons that are in different places. So there's, like, the Wrath, which is, like, a famous prison. There's, like, a couple others. Um, and uh, everyone escapes from it. And one of the four prisons is a prison that Hank Pym uses, and he shrinks it down. So, like, these people are stuck at Ant-Man size in you know, a real prison. So if they even were to get out, they're like, you know, tiny and, and in an area where they can't run far really away or get out or anything. Um, yeah, super clever. I like stuff like that. Uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, so we, we end with another uh, of the classic scenes where uh, um, Louise is talking about another one of his cousins because this one, you know, the last one was talking about his other cousin. Say his name's Ernesto or something like that, and this is his cousin Ignacio, and he goes off on a tangent again about about something else. Uh, we see Stan Lee um, as a bartender in in this scene. Oh, true, yeah. Like last minute cameo. I like that scene how it ends with that because it's it's so fitting that uh, uh, he's telling a story of how Falcon wants to find Ant Man, and like that's such a clever way to tie him into the MCU, but also have it be a very in a very Ant Man esque way where it's like very funny and not necessarily the way you would expect it from a movie, like him telling this long-winded story. That's a really clever ending. Yeah, yeah it's, just, it's an abrupt ending. And then the whole scene, yeah, because he's just like, what did he say? And he goes, he said yes. Yeah. And it just, like, ends like that. Um, and also that, that Michael Pena's voice is over this, uh, this Asian woman who's a reporter, and then over which Anthony Mackie, and then over Stan Lee. The fact that his voice is, is you know, saying the dialogue yeah. of these three characters is hilarious yeah, on so many different levels. Um, and a uh, nice little nod, uh, very obvious Easter egg. Uh, the the reporter or whatever who's talking to Anthony Mackie, she's like, he's like, I'm looking for a guy. And she's like, you know, we got guys, we got a guy who jumps, guy who swings, guy who crawls up walls. You got to be more specific. True. So uh, another Spider-Man reference there. Um, and then, like uh, most of the movies, we have like a like a pre-credit scene. I guess it's like after the original credits, but before the credits start rolling, um, where uh, Hank Pym shows Hope the the Wasp prototype suit that they were like building for her, or whatever, and she you know ends with the it's about damn time. Yeah. Um, and then. The post-credit scene where we have Sam and Cap uh, with Bucky, where his arms in that vice there, and uh, they're they're talking about bringing it to Tony, and they're like, "No, we can't trust Tony. We gotta we gotta keep this, you know, on the low or whatever." And then Sam goes, "Oh, like I know a guy," and then references uh, Scott, um, which is so why it works so well. It ends on that. Because it's yeah. like it, 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 it makes total sense that he's met Falcon. Like it makes sense that you know I want this guy in my in my court. He can change his size. Like that's a pretty pretty impressive power, you know. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of those scenes where we kind of see that scene in Civil War. So it's kind of like you know. Uh, post uh, Captain America the First Avenger where we kind of see a scene that they use in um, in uh, 
Avengers and, and one of those scenes where they kind of the post credit scene is like I think the exact same video they use in a Which I, movie kind of thing. It, it's kind of fun, scene. but it's I don't like want to see them do it too often. You know, I, I don't want to see that like because it kind of made sense in Ant Man, but yeah. I think I don't want to see that become like a regular thing. Which I don't think it will. Yeah, because then exactly. you're just rewatching scenes you've seen already. Um, but, uh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. In that it worked for sure. Yeah, so that is. And that is phase two. Yeah, man. Week 12. All wrapped up in a. So now we get next week, or when we start up again, that'll be. The start of phase three, which I think, if it keeps going, is going to be the best phase to date. It's definitely—I'd say—it's probably got the most consistently high ratings out of me. I think the lowest thing I rated out of phase three was Doctor Strange with four stars. So that's pretty—that's uh, pretty impressive. So I'm looking forward to talking about that phase. You keep Doctor uh, Strange yes. four stars, but that one I don't think is like that low for like. Wow. I feel like giving Doctor Strange five was like a bit higher than like. That's above the curve, I think. Whereas, like, four, I think, would be, like, more on the median, I guess. It could have been four and a half, too. I think it might have been at one point. It, see, that's what I mean. Like, that's why I never take ratings too, too seriously. Because, like, they can change. Like, I've... I probably... I think I actually did give Doctor Strange four and a half initially. Then upon the rewatch, it's like... And, and then, you know, the next time I rewatch again, it could be four and a half. But anyway, I'm completely detracting from our finale. So I will shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about those scores. Uh, that sounds good. Two weeks from now. And uh, so Civil War is next. Well, ne- next week from where we are now, I will be posting the Ant-Man one. But the next week, the, the listeners will be listening to will be Civil War. And uh, that'll be the week after you get back. So we can do the Civil War There we go. Good person. times. Can't wait. So that is dope. And <laughs> win, win, win. Yay! All right, so that's the end of phase two, and uh, we'll see, see you, you next, next week. Thanks week. for listening. Bye.